we have a pope. And I am amazed at the amount of people, Catholics even, who immediately after the election were wondering if this pope would be a progressive pope. I'm not entirely sure what people mean by progressive, but if they mean that he will be willing to ordain women or agree with the redefinition of marriage or say that abortion is okay under certain circumstances, that's never going to happen. The Pope is Catholic, and that means that the terms liberal or conservative don't really apply. These are political terms. But is our new Pope progressive? Well, let's back up a bit. Pope Benedict XVI decided that he needed to serve the church in a new capacity and that it was okay for the Pope to retire. I think that's progressive. Then, the Cardinals elect a man who was known for his humility, who lives in a small apartment and not in a huge bishop's residence. He likes to take the bus, cooks his own meals, and is known for living the church's preferential option for the poor, for social justice and charity. He is an Argentinian, not a member of the Curia, and a Jesuit. I think that's progressive. And we have this man, Jorge Bergoglio, who chose the name Francesco after St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, a man who was called to rebuild my church and who rejected his family's riches and status. He lived among the poor, ministered to lepers, and was never ordained to the priesthood. St. Francis was a deacon. Just his choice of name alone is progressive. And what was the first thing he did? He asked the people to pray a blessing over him. And while they prayed, he bows down low in front of them. That's progressive. After the conclave, when they left the Sistine Chapel to go back to the residence, he refused to travel in the Pope's car, the Mercedes. He said, I came with the Cardinals on the bus and I will go back with them on the bus. And he went on the bus. Progressive? And he told Argentinians who were considering going to Rome for the installation mass not to go, but to give the money to the poor instead. On Sunday, he celebrated mass at a local Roman church and then greeted parishioners outside the church, like any other priest, for 20 minutes. That's progressive. Has the papacy changed in the last 100 years? It has. And in the life of the church, that is a very short time change has been coming much quicker since the Second Vatican Council, and slowly but surely, change has been coming with each Pope Paul VI, John Paul I, John Paul II, and Benedict XVI. They each were more and more shepherds and less and less monarchs. Is Pope Francis's papacy going to be progressive? I don't know. But what I have seen so far is the kind of shepherd that will continue taking the church in the direction that she needs to go. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Abemus papam. Everybody is abuzz with the new Pope. And so today, we'll be updating you on what the new Pope has been up to. Chris will have all those details, and Sheridan has a phone call to Australia to see what their reactions to the new Pope have been. 
Andrew will be here with our Saint of the Week, a Jesuit saint, and Sister Marie Paul Curley will be reviewing two films that you probably watched during the Christmas break. And in our second half hour, we speak with the Provincial of the Jesuits in English Canada, Father Peter Bisson. He was in Rome during the conclave, during the election, and during the installation mass, and so he'll be here with us to share his experiences and to tell us what it means to have a Jesuit Pope. And we've made it a priority here at Salt and Light to promote Catholic singers and songwriters and Catholic music. And if you're looking for a great source of Catholic music, then you need to hear about Spirit and Song, spiritandsong.com. They are probably the largest Catholic music label. Today, our featured artists are all those wonderful Spirit and Song artists and Spirit and Song General Manager Robert Fiducia will be joining us later to tell us all about their great work. And we begin with a song that Robert Fiducia co-wrote with Sarah Hart, Christ the Lord, published by Spirit and Song. Darkness hangs, the world is aching, yearning for the coming light. In his rising hope awaking, love has come to steal the night. In our hearts, true east, we're facing toward the coming of our Lord. Morning rising, gloom now fleeing, Christ returned And all is well Prophets tell your God is with you Heaven's gift, Emmanuel He is you but hid as lowly In the poor and mystery Shame is cursed, no more confined. 
Spirit and Song. We'll be speaking with Robert Fiducia in our second half hour and in about 15 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Chris is here. We continue with our, I guess, our, our papal updates. That's right. Well, it feels like we've really gotten to know Pope Francis, but he was only inaugurated on Tuesday. Yeah, I know. And that inauguration, the liturgy was largely the same as 2005. It's very rare that we get to see this particular liturgy, but it was rich with symbols that recall the Pope's ties to St. Peter. There was a procession through St. Peter's Square, a few hundred thousand people there, and on a couple of occasions, the Pope stopped the open-air Popemobile to bless babies. That happened on three times. And also, he actually stopped the Popemobile and descended down to bless a man with a disability. Um, after that, they go inside St. Peter's Basilica, and he went down to the tomb with patriarchs and major archbishops of the Eastern Rite Catholic churches. And there he receives uh, a book of the Gospels, and the ring and the pallium that are to be given to the Pope are actually kept in the tomb overnight with the book of the Gospels. Those are brought back out to St. Peter's Square, and he received them. The pallium, that's that a woolen stole uh, that's placed on his shoulders, and it recalls the good shepherd who carries the lost sheep. And the ring, known as the fisherman's ring, depicts St. Peter holding the keys, and his particular ring, the ring for Pope Francis, was it's not made of gold, but it's gold-plated silver, and it comes from a design created for Paul VI, but, but that was never cast into metal because he wore another ring that he got at the Second Vatican Council. There was a lot of government representatives there, 132 government delegations. Of course, the president of Argentina was there, uh, the Italian president and prime minister from the United States, uh, the vice president, Joe Biden, and Nancy Pelosi, they were there. Canada sent a delegation that included our governor general. Now, remember, the Vatican didn't invite or even ask governments to come. They informed them of the date and the time, saying that you can come if you like. And that sort of insulates them from any kind of criticism about who might be in the audience. And one person who, who unfortunately showed up was the uh, very controversial president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, along right. with He's his wife. Always there. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure how exactly he did get there, because apparently there's a European Union has a travel ban on him due to some of his human rights violations. Um, apparently many countries invited the Pope to come visit them. Uh, one of the countries where we know he's going is Brazil. He's going to be going to World Youth Day, and we also learned that he's going to be visiting the shrine to Our Lady of Aparecida. 
and uh -huh. uh, the Pope once again showed his Marian devotion when the Regina Celi was uh, was sung at the very end, or sorry, the Salve Regina rather, sung at the yeah. end of the Mass. Yeah. Uh, he stopped to venerate a statue of Mary that was mm -hmm. provided for the occasion. Now, as I said, uh, the Pope uh, didn't invite anyone specifically, and he even told the faithful of Argentina not to come. Uh, he said, you know, you can spend the money that you would have spent yeah, on the flight. I know. Uh, and, sp and spend that on the poor. So instead, the Pope went to them, which I thought was a beautiful gesture. There were thousands of Argentinian faithful gathered in what was called the Plaza de Mayo in the early hours of the morning to watch the inauguration. And there was a big surprise. The Pope had a per personal message for them. Uh, there was a telephone call that he did that was broadcast to the whole crowd and uh, they were very, very surprised. He said, Dear children, I know you are in the square. I know you are praying and saying prayers. I need them very much. He told them, take care of the family, take care of nature, take care of the children, and take care of the elderly. And he said, do not forget this bishop who is far but loves you very much. Pray for me. So he's still very close to the people of Argentina. Uh, he's Pedro, he's had a very busy uh, first uh, week and a half. There have been eight televised events in 10 days, which has naturally been keeping us at Salt and Light Television incredibly busy with yeah, these I know. early you, you, morning you're, events. You've been getting your uh, money's worth. Exactly, exactly. And uh, after the inauguration, he had a meeting with the fraternal delegates, meaning which are the, the people from other different uh, mm -hmm. Christian denominations and mm -hmm. non-Christian religions. He also met with the diplomatic corps on Friday. And tomorrow, Palm Sunday, uh, he will be sa saying Mass in St. Peter's Square to kick off Holy Week. And after that, there are going to be um, the traditional liturgies for the Chrismal Mass, Mass of the Lord's Supper, the celebration of the Lord's Passion, Easter Vigil, and of course, Holy Mass on Easter Sunday. Uh, if you want to watch Pope Francis at, this, at these Masses and pray with him, you can go to saltandlighttv.org, and we have a live stream of all of these events. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pope full of surprises. I'm sure that we're going to be getting lots and more uh, news of him. Our news producer, Chris Dimitrenko. Remember, if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Our emails radio at saltandlighttv.org. You can also reach us through Facebook. Coming up, our Saint of the Week, so don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Julian Cantor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org radio. You can find me at deaconpedro.com and also on Facebook and Twitter at deaconpedrogm. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Deacon Pedro, we Andrew, have a Jesuit we have, Pope. We have, so does that mean we have a Jesuit saint? Oh man, you stole my line. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I was ready for this. So we have a Jesuit Pope, yeah, we have a now Jesuit, we have a Jesuit yeah. saint. Okay. Um, we're going to go across the pond, we're going to go across the Atlantic Ocean and look at the life of St. Nicholas Owen. Oh, I've um, never heard of St. Nicholas Owen. Yeah, very interesting. Now, his um, feast day was yesterday. Uh, March the 22nd, but you know, okay. since we're in a little bit of a, of a Jesuit, uh, we have a little Jesuit flair going on here, I thought we would look at him. Um, St. Nicholas Owen um, is a carpenter and a lay Jesuit. He is known as Little John, and uh, he's very small in stature, but um, big in the esteem, um, like he was really looked up to and recognized uh -huh. by fellow Jesuits around him. 
We know that he was born at Oxford, and he saved the lives of many priests and lay people in England during the uh, during the penal times. That was during the years of 1559 and 1829. Um, and that was when a series of statutes, uh, also known as laws, uh -huh. uh, punished Catholics for the practice of their faith. Yeah, so they were, yeah. you know. Um, over a period of about 20 years, he used his skills to build, interestingly enough, secret hiding places for priests really? throughout the country. Um, his work, which he did completely by himself as both an architect and builder, it was so good at that time um, time and time again, priests in hiding were detect were undetected by um, raiding yeah, 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 by, the by the military, yeah, yeah. by the police. Yeah. Um, he was a genius, like an absolute genius at finding and creating these these places of safety for the priests. So um, literally, we're talking about like subterranean yeah, passages, yeah, yeah. Okay. small spaces between walls nice. and uh, like recesses. It, mm -hmm. Quite quite interesting reading the story. At one point, he was even able to mastermind the escape of two Jesuits uh -huh. from the Tower of London. Oh, wow. So, th I'm, I'm telling you, this makes like a great plot yeah, for a movie. Yeah, for a movie, yeah. Um, whenever Nicholas set out to design such hiding places, he began by receiving, um, by receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh -huh. And he would turn to God in prayer throughout the long and dangerous process. Because, you know, it's not like you could build no, a passage in a day. It, it takes a lot of time and effort. After many years of doing this, he entered the Society of Jesus, you know, also known as the Jesuits yeah. order, and served as a lay brother, although for very good reasons, his connection with the Jesuits was kept secret. Um, after a number of narrow escapes, uh, he himself was finally caught in 1594. Um, despite protracted torture, um, he refused to disclose the names of other Catholics. He kind of didn't want to uh, rat them out. Of course out. not. Um, after being released... Um, paying a ransom, little John, as he was known as, uh -huh. went back to his work. Then again, he was arrested in 1606. And literally, he underwent a lot of torture. Um, he even tried committing suicide. So the torture that he experienced, and as well as his sufferings, um, that led to his death on March the 1st in the year 1606. He's a very recent saint. Uh, he was canonized in the year 1970 okay. uh, by Pope Paul VI. And he is known as one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales. Okay. So his feast day was yesterday. It was Friday, March the 22nd. So okay, so that's St. Nicholas, Nicholas Owen. Nicholas Owen. Pray for us. Oh, pray for us. St. Nicholas Owen, also known as Little John. That's funny. St. Nicholas Owen, feast day, March 22nd. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, I'm Christian Matrenko, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Look us up. Search for Salt Plus Light Radio. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister Marie Paul, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Pedro. It's great to be here. Yes, so... I am so eager <laughs> for today's show because I'm talking about two of my favorite films from 2012. Okay. Um, and I'm wondering if you saw either of them. Okay. Um, first, The Hobbit, An Unexpected oh. Journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the second one is Les Miserables. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I actually saw them both uh, over Christmas. The oh, Christmas that's right. Holiday. Yeah, because yes. they and were the They're um, being released to DVD this mm -hmm. week. Um, the Hobbit was actually released to DVD on the Feast Day of St. Joseph. Okay. Um, hmm. You know, uh, day of our Pope's 
um, installation. Installation, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, both films, uh, the reason I'm excited to talk about both films is the incredible themes that and the wonderful storytelling that's done in both movies. Yeah. Um, in, in a particular way, um, I'm a very big Tolkien fan. Uh-huh. Um, and so The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, I have to confess, I was a little distraught when I found out Peter Jackson was going to turn it into a trilogy. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was. Um, and I think it does, I think in some ways the film could be more powerful as a two, two and a half hour uh, mm-hmm. movie, you know, all condensed into one. But what Peter Jackson has done is he's taken this lighter story from mm-hmm. Tolkien mm-hmm. Um, and turned it into really a full-fledged, uh, more dramatic piece that has striking similarities to uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy that he did as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got more drama. We've got, uh, not that they're bigger, um, a, a bigger nemesis, yeah. but um, but you, you're focusing more on this these big stories of dark and light, whereas The Hobbit itself is a lighter children's book. Mm-hmm. So for those who... Um, have only read the book, um, and it, that's appropriate for pretty young children if, if a child has a good reading level. This movie goes a little darker, um, and, and it doesn't hesitate to explore some of the implications of the book. Um, but in terms of the themes, I mean, anytime you talk about hobbits, you're always talking about humility. <laughs> right. And I love how that theme is carried in a particular way through this movie. Um, and also, of course, this is a journey movie, uh-huh. um, which takes us you know, as we follow Bilbo's journey, um, we also are allowed to go, you know, with our own journey, uh, with him, um, discovering, you know, he surprises himself, he surprises Gandalf, and he definitely surprises the dwarves. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to give anything away, but um, it, and it is a long film for the first third yeah. of the trilogy, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next two movies as well. And I yeah, think the okay. first, if you're if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, this is definitely something to watch. Yeah, and that's what I found as well, that people who are, are Lord of the Rings fans loved it. Yeah, okay, uh, Les Miserables. Th- yes, Les Miserables. Um, this is uh, a great novel. Have you read the, have you read the book? No, my wife is reading it right now, oh. but, I've, uh, but I saw the musical maybe four times. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like I know the story. So yeah. very familiar with the story. So, yes. of course, it's about... Uh, really, it's a redemption movie, and several characters mm-hmm. in the film find find or seek redemption. Um, I mean, it starts with the you know the stealing of a loaf of bread and a and a man who's imprisoned yeah. for over a decade, I think, for yeah. stealing a loaf of bread when yeah. his family was starving, and um, and then his transformation. Um, the, there are very powerful scenes in this um, in every film, every cinematic version that I've seen. I have to say, the musical gives a particular power mm-hmm. to the strict to the theme of redemption and forgiveness in this film. Yeah. Um, even though not all the um, actors, actors are the operatic singers that you'd expect yes. to hear um, when you watch Les Misérables on mm-hmm. stage, um, but those themes of redemption and forgiveness, and above all, the self-sacrifice of the the main protagonist Jean Valjean, mm-hmm. um, who really undergoes tragedy after tragedy. Um, but just resolves to um, really give back to God and to the people that he connects with, even those who are hunting him down. Um, it's very powerful. So I would say both these films, while they, t- they cover deeper themes, um, they're both in many ways profoundly Catholic films, yeah. coming from a, a profoundly Catholic worldview and always holding these ideas of redemption and forgiveness mm-hmm. and uh, very powerfully. So 
I, I feel like I haven't done enough to describe these films, but all I can say is they're definitely is worth it, a yeah, watch. Absolutely, and they're out on DVD now. So, um, I, you know, can I just say about Les Mis, yeah. that, that it, it went to see a bishop portrayed the way the bishop is portrayed in that story is so, because so often priests, bishops are shown to be not great people or drunks or... You know, and and Act and that's where Jean Valjean's journey begins. Yes, with and the actually mercy it that does is shown bring to, him. to yes. mind our new Pope Francis. It does way, very, much, it? very much, very much, very much. Just so again, just there are moments. I, I I wasn't crazy about this particular film. I love the musical, um, but just for those moments, it's worth watching. If people don't know the story, oh yeah, and Anne Hathaway. I mean, she's she's she's, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Yes. Anyway, that's all the time we have. But so the Hobbit. Humility of Hobbits and Redemption in Limiz. How's that for Windows to the Soul? That sounds great, Pedro. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. Hello, this is Danielle Rose, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can podcast the Salt and Light Hour for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. Our blog is at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And here now, um, Sheridan's been working overtime on the papal election coverage, so we reached her on the phone. Sheridan, welcome to the program. Hello, my friends. How are you? Okay, so remember a couple of weeks ago we decided to go way, way up north? Yes. Well, this week I decided that we should go way, way down under. Okay. Oh, nice. Ends of the earth. The other yes. ends of the earth. Yes. Exactly. So earlier this week, I spoke with Isaac DeMays, a chair of the Sanders Diocese Youth Council in Victoria, Australia. Hello, Isaac. How are you? Good, thanks, Sheridan. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. Not a problem. Okay, so tell me a bit about your role as the chair of the Sandhurst Diocesan Youth Council. Well, my role, along with about 13 others who gather from across our diocese, um, from schools, from parishes, our two youth ministry workers, young people and uh, mature people gather to meet and discuss the different activities and events that are happening uh, in relation to youth ministry both in our diocese uh, in the state that we are situated in in Australia and then also Australia nationally and the, the global church so we've got various youth programs running across our diocese uh, social justice things running in our schools uh, World Youth Day, of course, and um, an exciting project uh, happening in December this year for the Australian Church with Australian Catholic Youth Festival. So we're, we're pretty busy coordinating and planning all of these different events. Tell me quickly, what has been the response of people to Pope Francis so far? Well, it's been shock and surprise. The, um, <laughs> the white smoke went up at about 5.30 um, Australian time. Um, and from then on, it's been a fantastic positive uh, acceptance I think and the media in Australia has been quite incredible in terms of and intrigued I think with this this uh, Pope from his origins are from Latin America uh, from Argentina somebody who's uh, from a religious order that always seems to spark a bit of interest in in Australia and um, somebody who's taken a name that's never been held before and of course 
he wasn't on all those betting websites. He wasn't one of the favourites. So we tend to stick up for the underdog here in Australia. So we, we've seen to have a bit of an affection with him already because he was seen as a, an underdog, a, an outsider, and we love one of those. So uh, it's been a positive response, his messages that he's given so far, his homily um, to the Mass with the Cardinals in the Sistine Chapel was a beautiful, beautiful expose on Christian um, faith and, and its exploration in our lives. And uh, from the people that I've been talking to, that certainly hit home with them. And I think as people start to read the text from his homily at his inauguration, that will only continue. So we're looking forward to um, seeing what will be the fruits of Pope Francis's uh, pontificate and um, as of course many who know, might know Australians will be we've already nicknamed him Pope Frank instead of Francis <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, we're delighted and we're looking forward to the future Thank you so much for your time Isaac Not a problem That was Isaac Denise, Chair of the Sandhurst Day Austin Youth Council in Victoria, Australia Thank you very much, Sheridan. Um, very exciting to see how everyone around the world is excited about our new Holy Father. Coming up in our, new, in our second half hour, what does it mean to have a Jesuit Pope and a featured chat with Robert Fiducia of Spirit and Song? So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I met Father Peter Bisson some 20 years ago when he was still a young Jesuit scholastic studying at Regis College in Toronto. Fast forward to today when he is the Provincial Superior of the Jesuits of English Canada. Last week, he happened to be in Rome when the very first Jesuit was elected Pope. Earlier this week, we reached Father Peter Bisson in Malta to ask him what this papal election means for the Universal Church. Father Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pedro. It's good to be with you all. So, d p were you in Rome just kind of randomly, uh, coincidentally, when the conclave, or were you actually wanted, to, you needed to be there during the conclave? No, I was, I was there for other reasons. I was there for a two-week-long leadership course for people, for Jesuits, right. who have recently become provincials or the equivalent. Oh, good. So, okay. So, so, so the timing was right. There. But so it worked out well for you. Uh, what, what was, what went through your mind when you heard Abemus Papam Georgius Marius Bergoglio? Actually, it was Georgiam Mariam. But anyway, oh. <laughs> don't worry about the Latin declensions. Um, thank you. I was, thank you. I was stunned. I thought, I can't be a Jesuit Pope. Uh, but in fact, that's that's what it was, uh, and that's what what he what what he is. Okay, but were were more you more surprising though? Uh, yeah, I, I would say many of us were so excited and so stunned that that many of us didn't sleep well that night because we were so full of emotions. Right. Were you um, were you with other Jesuits watching? When uh, yeah, I was. I was one from France and one from Syria. Yeah. Uh, and then there were others throughout the square. Uh -huh. well, actually, uh, as soon as Pete, someone saw the smoke, uh -huh. and went running through our court, the, our Jesuit head office is right next to St. Peter's. Uh -huh. Someone went running through the corridor yelling, white smoke, white smoke. And we all dashed into St. Peter's Square. Okay. And then an hour later, there he was. Yeah, okay, so you weren't in the square 
if, if when the smoke happened, but then you were able to get there for when Pope Francis came out on the loggia. Well, by the time I got this in the square, the smoke was still pouring out of. Oh, really? Yeah. So that close? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that close. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, now have you? Really you Ha, ha, have you met him, or had you? I mean, no, obviously you knew. I, ne- I never have. But um, you knew of other, him. Other Jesuits have, obviously. You knew of him because he used to be superior general of the province in Argentina. He, he was provincial of Argentina provincial, in sorry, the yeah. late seventies, uh-huh. and then he was a rector of, uh, I think, a theology faculty or some big ministry of the society there, and then he became auxiliary bishop and then bishop and archbishop. Um, and he's got a Jesuit nephew studying in uh, either Germany or or Rome right now. I forget. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Now, for people who, I mean, I know that there's a lot of talk about Jesuits, and and some of us are very familiar with the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, but maybe a lot of people mm-hmm. aren't. In fact, in the last week in the news, I've heard the Jesuits called, you know, from a sect. To to uh, a brotherhood, to you know all these other things. That what what are the Jesuits? Who are the well, Jesuits? Well, we're a, okay. We're a religious order of priests and brothers founded about 500 years ago by mm-hmm. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, uh, Spanish Basque actually, mm-hmm. uh, saint. And we're founded. Uh, I'll say a few things about that. But we're founded really to to be available specifically for Christ through the Pope. So we're available for the Pope to use for uh, missions that other people in the Church might not want to do. So, um, uh, so that's 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 the chief aspect of our charism: availability for mission. Okay, so sorry, so, can, can can I just interrupt mm-hmm, you there? Uh, yeah, so yeah. How is that different than you think that all other orders would be available to the Pope? How are you available to the Pope in a different way? Well, we have a special vow that that. Does, does that and okay. technically the Pope is the head of the Jesuits, and the Superior General of the Jesuits acts as his vicar. Uh-huh. That's uh, in practice. The Superior General is quite in de- quite free to make his own decision uh, in most regards. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but we have a special tie to the Pope and. Some of the law that governs us is papal law rather than our own law. Right. So when you said yeah. when you said that you're available to the Holy Father to do <laughs> things that nobody else wants to do, what um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking, of course, of the original Jesuit missionaries, the ones who came to mm-hmm. Canada or St. Francis Xavier. Um, is that still how is that seen today? Well, that would be he. He wouldn't ask, you know, for Father X to do something. Uh-huh. He would rather ask something like uh, set up the church in Cambodia, or um, the bishop of Mongolia needs a school, or okay, um, I want you to promote Vatican II, or um, okay. So you do get requests. Uh, you get specific requests like that. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, not it doesn't happen often, but it does. Uh-huh. It does happen. So, so, you, so that's part of the Jesuit charism. When people talk about Jesuit spirituality, I, I, mm-hmm. is that the same as Ignatian spirituality? What, what, what is? Yes, it's a, it's it's Ignatian spirituality, but with a particular twist for the Jesuits. Many groups uh-huh. of sisters and lay people also have Ignatian spirituality. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that would be. Include uh, trying to find God in anything 
Uh, just the usual places like prayer and scripture and liturgy um, and solitude, uh, but also in unexpected places like the lab, uh, yeah. street games, uh, right. uh, other religions, and so on and so forth. Is that so what? That would be a characteristic of Ignatian spirituality, which would include serious reflection uh, and even evaluation of our religious experience and of how we're relating with Jesus. Right. Is the Jesuit specificity of that would make it corporate, an organization that has a special link of obedience for mission, a special link of availability to the Pope. Okay. Is so that, that we can better meet universal needs. I see. Is that why it's common to find Jesuits uh, working regular jobs like a Jesuit professor or a Jesuit who is working in the media or a Jesuit who is uh, a chemist. Yeah, that's right. It's various ways of uh, of influencing large numbers of people for the gospel, mm -hmm. uh, as well as of making like, like making links between the church and places where the church doesn't easily reach. Right. And for example, the world of science. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, uh, is that also the reason why Jesuits are typically not bishops? I mean, I know we have Jesuit bishops, but it's not the typical thing. That's true. We take a special vow not to not to um, not to try to become bishops. So, so by and large, we so we, it, yeah. So so then that would have been the surprise that we have a Jesuit pope because that would not be you've taken a vow, presumably to not be pope. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's certainly not part of the vow. Pope <laughs> is an exceptional thing, and uh, yeah, it, that, yeah. Well, but, would uh, would he? So that wasn't so much part of the surprise for us. It was just the fact uh, that we know, of course, that there are many people who are uncomfortable right. with Jesuits, and so a Jesuit pope would be troubling for some people. Uh -huh. uh, obviously, welcomed by others, right. but certainly troubling for some people and. We don't want to be a divisive, a source of division. Would but more remarkable, I find, is his what he's trying to seems to be trying to say by his choice of name, yes, and by his the various gestures that he has yes. made yeah. since his yeah. election on Wednesday evening. Yeah, no, I know. We've been talking about that in the program already. Um, is it, it? Would he? I know he phoned the Superior General of the Jesuits. I mean, Friday it, morning. That's right. Is that a gesture that he did out of goodwill, or do you, would he have had to call the superior, not to ask for permission, but to say? <laughs> yeah. So when he phoned on Friday morning, were you there? Because uh, yes, I was. I mean, I wasn't. I didn't hear the phone call. But tell us but about I certainly, it. Certainly. Tell us the story. The general has, had written to Pope Francis the day before uh -huh. on Thursday, so right after the election. And he was phoning back in response to letters saying, thanks, I got your letter, and uh, by all means, let's meet as soon as possible. Uh -huh. But I saw the receptionist who received the phone call uh, about an aft hour after, and he was all excited and emotional. He didn't believe it was the Pope. Right. Uh, so the Pope phoned himself. It wasn't an assistant or a secretary. He phoned himself and says, hello, I'm Pope Francis. May I speak to... Uh, Superior General Father Nicholas, please. And the poor guy didn't believe him. Yeah, that's funny. So, so that's the Pope funny. had to say, "No, no, yes, I really am the Pope." 
And then what was touching was that once he realized that the receptionist had all of a sudden gotten very nervous and frightened, he really tried to reassure him. Yeah. So he asked him what his name was, how he was feeling, and told him, don't worry, don't worry, calm down. No, no worries. Uh, just connect me to Father General, please. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. No, it's a it's a funny story. Now, maybe just in closing, uh, Father Peter, can you what does it what do you think it will mean for the Universal Church that we have a Jesuit Pope? Well, I I in some ways I'd like to say it doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. You no, know, nothing. You know, I wouldn't want to see the whole church become Jesuit or anything like that. No, of course. But. But as you, the coat of arms that he has chosen, which is the same coat of arms he had as Archbishop uh-huh. of Buenos Aires, has the Ignatian sunburst, that is the name of Jesus uh, inside, kind of a sunburst uh-huh. on his coat of arms. But I, I, I think it means the spirituality that he has is, excuse me, Jesuit spirituality. In yeah. other words, he'll reflect on his, uh, his own religious experience, in a self-critical way, and he will seek to find God in all situations, mm-hmm. not just in the situations where we expect to find God. Mm-hmm. And so things like that. So I think I think Ignatian spirituality will have an impact on the church. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't want to see the church reduced to Ignatian spirituality either. Yeah, you know, no, and I and I and yeah, many I, many spiritualities in the church, and they all absolutely are blessings for us. Absolutely, and and you said yeah. that to me when I first emailed you. It's like, oh, we congratulations, we have a Jesuit pope, and your response was very humbling because you said he belongs to the whole church now, and yeah, uh, that's that's, right. that's exactly true. And the fact, as you said, he chose the name Francis Francesco means that it it might be an Ignatian spirituality with a Franciscan. Uh, flair. That's the, that's right. That's that's an interesting that's right. combination. Anyway, Father Peter, uh, I know that you're you're in Malta and you probably have other things to do. So thank you for taking a little bit of time to speak to us today. Um, thank you, Pedro, and for telling us a little bit about the Jesuits. And greet everyone for me. I will. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you for your work. Father Peter Bisson is the provincial superior for the Jesuits in English Canada. We reached him in Malta earlier this week. You can learn more about the Jesuits in English Canada at jesuits.ca. Here now is one of our featured songs of the week, Run to the Cross by Sarah Kroger, Josh Blakesley, Sarah Hart, and Mia Fields. You
that was run to the cross by Sarah Kroger, Josh Blakesley, Sarah Hart, and Mia Fields, published by Spirit and Song. Many of you are probably familiar with Spirit and Song, and you may have heard of Robert Fiducia, who is the general manager of SpiritandSong.com. However, did you know that he is also one of the most sought-after speakers and ministry leaders in the United States? Now, Robert worked many years as a youth minister with Life Teen. He has a bachelor's degree in philosophy from St. Mainrad College and a master's in theological study from the St. Mainrad School of Theology. He's a published author and is a talented speaker. But he has also co-written songs with many of our Salt and Light Hour featured artists like Sarah Hart and Tom Booth. And as I said, Robert is now the general manager for Spirit and Song, which is a division of OCP, Oregon Catholic Press. And Salt and Light is a big supporter and fan of Spirit and Song. And so I'm very happy to have Robert joining us now on the Salt and Light Hour. Robert, welcome. Well, thank you. It's my honor to be with you, Pedro. So I, I, people talk about Spirit and Song as a label or record label. I don't even know if record labels are called record labels anymore, but what is Spirit and Song? Would you say it's a label? Well, it's a, it's a good question <laughs> because <laughs> we, we really don't fit into the exact mold of exclusively a, a music publisher or exclusively a record label. Uh-huh. But what, what I most identify with Spirit and Song is... Uh, it, it is the new evangelization, that we're a uh-huh. ministry and an effort of the new evangelization, bringing new zeal, as uh, John Paul the Great said, new zeal to the, to the faith, uh-huh. then new methods of bringing the gospel, but then also new expressions, new artistic expressions. So what, what we're trying to do is to, is to create these new works of art, but to place um, new expressions of praise on the mm-hmm. lips of, um, of young people. Right. So w- when we ask our customers, what does Spirit and Song do, I think that gives a good understanding of it. They look to us to answer this pastoral question, how can I engage my youth and young adults in worship? Okay. And that really does fit what we're all about. Okay. Is it all music, or uh, is there other... Well, it's um, that is our that is our focus. Okay, um, music, we yeah. have our, our website, spiritandsong.com, dot com, where there there's some written content. Um, yeah. But but it is all about the the music and 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 something that I've been thinking about recently is if you go to the catechism mm-hmm. and look up the definition of a sacramental, uh-huh. it it could very easily describe a song. That yeah, it, it, it is not the sacrament. But it opens up uh-huh. people's hearts to the to the sacramental encounter with the Lord. Okay, and uh, and so I I think what we're about is creating new sacramentals. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, how did you end up working with Spirit and Song? In in my background, I um, I was very happily the the founding director of the One Bread One Cup conferences um, at St. Meinrad School oh, of Theology, yeah. and. We, we would train young people liturgically um, in, in, the, uh, in the theology of the liturgy, but also in the spirituality of the liturgy, and then we formed their skills to minister in the liturgy. Okay. And w- while I was there, we engaged Oregon Catholic Press mm-hmm. to do the musical training. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then one, one day, after establishing a good relationship with them, 
um, I was asked if I would come on and take um, and, and take on leadership of of spirit and song, and that that's a, that's the short version. Yeah, of it, Deacon, no, that's but, good. Uh, so, but that's it. so you were working. Uh, there, I, I, are you? Would you? S- you were working specifically in liturgy. Would you say that? I mean, do you have this passion for liturgy and liturgical music? Because that's spirit and song is not just liturgical music, but it sounds like. Um, I know that Oregon Catholic Press is the largest publisher of liturgical music in the world. So is yeah. there a connection there for you personally about liturgy? Well, I, I, I love our, um, I love our, our, our mission statement, and mm-hmm. it is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all, uh-huh. especially through um, excellent worship program music. And it, it really does embody, I, I appreciate the question about me personally. Yeah. Um, I, I identify myself as, as an evangelist and as uh, someone who, who loves worship. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is embodied here at Spirit and Song. And, and so I, I loved what I did at St. Minard School of Theology and watching young people dive into the fullness of the liturgy. Um, it, it, it did fulfill my mission. Mm-hmm. But then coming here... Um, when when the offer came, it, uh, it it's just that next step. Like I couldn't think I could be more fulfilled than I right. already was at yeah. St. Minard, and and then this came along, and it was um, the natural. It, it just it, yeah. I just feel like I embody what Spirit and Song is a, is about, and it embodies yeah. what I want what I want to do with my life. It's funny that you're saying that because I was going to ask you. You know what? Wh- when you're studying philosophy or studying theology, what are you thinking about your future? Did you th- did you see that you were going to end up being the general manager of a, a music publisher, you know, or a worship resource place. Not <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm just a country boy from <laughs> South Mississippi, and, and uh, I was studying for, for the priesthood uh-huh. in, in my home diocese, and, and I thought that I was going to be a priest there, and then if not, then I thought I was going to be a uh, just a, a, a humble parish youth minister, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and every day I go, oh my gosh! Like when I'm on the phone with Tom Booth, you know, who's yeah. my best friend, I yeah. think. Yeah. Who am I that this man who's written all these songs that I've loved for years mm-hmm. is now my best friend and work colleague? You yeah. Know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the people on my on my phone's contact list? It's just obscene. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. What, what's been funny is during the. Uh, the election of the of the Holy Father. Yeah. Um, all the commentators. I'm going. Well, I have his number in my phone. I have yeah. his number in my yeah. phone. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's a it's a blessing right there. Uh, just just that. Um, and I, I, I my experience is very similar. Um, now we just heard uh, a song that you wanted us to play, "Run to the Cross," yeah. and you were telling me earlier that that there's something. I mean, of course, it's Lent. And, and we're called to focus on the cross. But would you say that for you personally, the cross, that theme of the cross has been uh, something that has guided you throughout your, your faith journey? It, it is. It's, it, it's, a, it's a great mystery, yeah. though. And one, one thing that I get just, you know, I, I get a bit cautious about is being able to say these great profound mysteries in just two or three sentences, mm. and not having them stand as these profound mysteries that take eternity mm-hmm. to to plumb the depths of. So the the cross is certainly like that for me right now. But but the but something that is um, that is, is is sticking with me right now with the cross. I mean, certainly in Lent yeah. is, and this comes from from our Holy Father Emeritus um, Pope Benedict, yeah. where he said that. In Christ's humanity, he makes room for our humanity. 
so that the, the relationship that he has with the Father, we have that relationship. And the, the, the piercing that happened on the cross, that made a way for us to enter in. You know, because when I was uh, in the South, I would hear people say, well, I accepted Jesus into my heart. Well, that is true. But the greater mystery is Jesus' acceptance of us into his heart. Yeah. And that the cross somehow, um, if, if I could use this language of, of oil well drilling, fracked. He was fracked and open wide on the cross hmm. for us to enter into his relationship with the Father and have our peace and reconciliation with the Father. Yeah. So, yes, I've been meditating on, on that. And, and so that's why of the three songs that, um, yeah. that I'd like to offer, two of them are focused on the cross. And, and, and then also just because of what Pope Francis said in his first homily was, we may be bishops, we may be cardinals, we may be, may be priests, but without the cross... Yeah, we're not disciples. Yeah, that's and that's that's such a powerful kind of uh, humbling uh, shocker for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. uh, we're going to end by by playing th- another song about the cross. Take up our cross. Mm. Um, that is written by Sarah Hart, Curtis uh, Stephen, and Mark Bird. Can you maybe say some some words about that particular song as as we close? Yeah, uh, when I was. Um when I was a, a, a young and very zealous um, new Christian, um, I used to pray, "God, give give me the cross, give me the cross." And and now that I'm I'm older, I see we don't have a choice. Um, it it comes. We we recognize um, just hardships come, and uh, uh, discipline is a very real part of discipleship, mm-hmm. and that that daily task. Of, of taking up whatever, whatever life has, has given to us and carrying it not just to Calvary's Hill, but to the rolled away stone. Mm-hmm. That um, suffering is going to come, but can it be redeemed? And, uh, and, and so that's why I chose to take up our cross, is because in that, our peace with God was made, but it doesn't end there. Mm-hmm. The fullness of life goes through the cross and to the resurrection. Amen. Those are great, great thoughts as we, as we finish our Lenten journey uh, towards Easter. Thank you, Robert. It's been great chatting with you and for you sharing with us some of those, these great insights, but also a little bit of who you are and what you do. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Deacon. Robert Fiducia is an author and speaker. He's also the general manager for spiritandsong.com, a division of Oregon Catholic Press. You can find out more at spiritandsong.com. Here now is that song that uh, Robert was speaking about, Take Up Our Cross by Sarah Hart, Curtis Stephen, and Mark Bird. From the Age to Age Generations of Faith album, published by Spirit and Song. Behold the world that bears on me. Behold the nails that hold our sin The tree from which salvation blooms The death by which we're born again We take up our cross and follow Take up our cross
Listening to Take Up Our Cross by Sarah Hart, Curtis Stephen, and Mark Bird, sung by Curtis Stephen, published by Spirit and Song. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org/slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long, Christian music like never before, thanks to the wonderful support from artists like those with Spirit and Song. Go to our website and learn how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile devices. And remember, my great year of faith challenge. Look me up on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM, for all the details. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. We cannot do our work without your support. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.